Hello, everyone. This is Richard Robertson from the Dean's Office. Joining me today are Dr. Jim Colonna and Dr. Travis Weller. Uh, Dr. Colonna is Director of Bands at Messiah, and Dr. Weller is Director of Music Education. But they are both band directors, and they are both composers. And they will be presenting a concert on September 27th. Do I have the date right? Correct. Yes. Correct. Friday, September 27th at 7.30 in the evening of both of their ensembles, the Symphonic Winds, which Dr. Weller conducts, and the Wind Ensemble, which Dr. Colonna conducts. And that concert will take place in Palmer Hall in the High Center here at Messiah College. And uh, we'll be talking about that concert. But first, I just want to talk a little bit about Jim and Travis. Uh, they're fairly new to Messiah. They're beginning their third year this year. So I just wanted to hear from you how you came to Messiah and what your background was before you, before you came here. So Jim, you go first. Uh, I came to Messiah College because many, many years ago, 1996, the Messiah College Wind Ensemble recorded my Fanfare Nadeste Fidelis for their Christmas album. This was my first published composition, and I was 26 years old. So pretty interesting. And Dr. Summit had recorded it. The CD came out, and I wrote pieces for them after, and was very familiar with the high music making, the high quality music making that was going on here. So when the opportunity arose to become a faculty member here, I jumped on it because I wanted to work with people like Dr. Stoneman and people in our department. Mm -hmm. I'm just... Didn't you write something called the Grantham Fanfare? Am I remembering right? Yes, uh, oh. Dr. Stoneman commissioned Grantham Fanfare because he told me he used to drive down Grantham Road to come to campus every day, and he said he always thought how beautiful it was. Could I write a piece for them with sort of a title like Grantham Fanfare? So instead of coming up with a title, that's what it's called. That's what it's called. Yes. Uh, I'm trying to remember, did they use some hymn tune or something? Praise to the Lord. Yeah, that's what I thought. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought. You know, we should use the word, the name Grantham. It's a really classy name. We should use it more often than we do, I think, here, here at Messiah. So Travis, tell, how, what's your, your story? The, the path that led me here, um, I never, never thought that like, I was going to end up in higher education. I had sort of resigned myself to the fact that that was you know, probably not going to happen in my future. And uh, lo and behold, the day I was let go from a contract at Kent State to be an adjunct faculty member, uh, that same night, Bill Stoneman called and said, here's the situation. Could you do some online teaching for us? And went through that whole process in the, um, over the course of the 2016-2017 year. And then in uh, 2016, in November of that year, th things were going well enough with the fall courses. And uh, I knew there was going to be an opening here. But at that point, I hadn't decided to apply. And I but pretty much resigned myself like, hey, I can just continue to do the adjunct thing. That'll be fine. And so let me just fill in. So the adjunct teaching, was that all in the conducting that program? That was all part of the all master's the graduate program. program. Yeah. Yes. Uh -huh. And uh, so then it was a seventh grade band that changed my mind. And uh, I, w I was talking with these kids like, hey, how many of you are going to audition for the fest band that we're hosting? And like zero hands out of 30 go up in the seventh graders. And finally, one kid raises his hand. And God bless that kid because, you know, he wasn't my best player, but he didn't want to disappoint me. And I said, well, I said, why, why aren't you going to, why aren't somebody going to try out? And the one kid said, well, I might not make it. And I said, well, you know, Mikey, I, I said, you're definitely not going to make it if you don't try out. And I said, how's that work in life? I said, if you don't at least apply for your dream job, you're never going to get it. 
And I realized at that moment I wasn't talking to my seventh graders anymore. I was talking to myself. And I emailed my wife and I said, hey, I'm going to apply at Messiah. I said, I think you should. And after school, I emailed Bill and I said, here's my stuff. He's like, it's about time. He goes, <laughs> he goes you've got the credentials. He goes, I want you to consider this. And yeah. I, I feel really blessed to be here. So That's great. That's great. I, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seventh, seventh grade band is life changing. <laughs> I only, you know, I experienced all of this. Of course, I went through music ed as we all did as a as a as a kid, and then most of us heard music, played in these ensembles when we were in school, but I watched it all over again with my kids, of course, and uh, it was always just fascinating to me that transition from elementary school to middle school because it was at that point that it went from being unlistenable mess to actual startings of musicianship, you know, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Some ensembles more than others, especially in the jazz band where you can control the numbers, I think. Sure. You know what I mean? So the full band is a little bit more difficult, but in jazz band, it was, it was kind of fun to listen to them once, once they got in middle yeah. school. So yep. well, that was my experience, at least uh, going through it with my, with my son. So uh, <laughs> Now, both of you are composers, and Jim, you've talked about pieces that you wrote for Messiah, but I'm just wondering, how does that interface with your work as a conductor, as a music educator? What, what role does that play? You know, is, it, is this art for art's sake? Is it, how, do you, how, do you view your, how do you view that? Oh, boy. How much time do we have on this? Is there <laughs> not a table? No, uh, the thing that I've found over... Uh, writing and, and you know people tell me like oh you're such a talented composer and I, I don't mean to you know throw a wet blanket on them but I said well thank you but I said I'm a hard-working one you know I, I get better every time I write and um, you know it has made me appreciate a lot more things about conducting um, simple like knowing how to orchestrate and how to write has made me made me a better educator because I understood he probably put this in here and he probably did this like this because it's going to be a much better fit on this instrument than it would, mm -hmm. you know, another one. So in that regard, like, it's a constant process of conducting and forming orchestration and forming composing and forming teaching and forming. It's just this circle that just keeps running, at least for me, it just keeps running like that. Well, along with that, um, you asked the question about for art's sake mm -hmm. or for other. I It all depends on who the piece is being composed for. So for instance, if it's a college or university, I'm gonna write whatever I want because they should have the technical ability to pull off the artistic part of the music making. That doesn't mean when I write for lesser groups that I'm not thinking about art. My, um, my strong interest is in new music and current composers and what they're doing outside of band. Mm -hmm. So when I listen to their music, I think, well, why do I think my 15-year-old son should know this? And when I'm composing something for that level, I'll bring those influences into my piece so that they can branch out to another composer from there. Right. Um, as a conductor composer, what I find is that I approach every score from the inside out. I never look at it and think, how do I move my hands? I look at it and I think, wow, that's interesting. Percy Granger chose this harmony here. And what does that mean then in my gesture? How can I convey that to my ensemble? So it's informed from the creative process and the composer's view and then comes out the other side. Now, a lot of conductors are just performers. They look at the piece, they wave their arms, they have a good group that plays it, and you get this result. But I'd rather have my audience be completely informed, so that means I have to approach other people's music from my comp compositional experience. And then as a conductor, that comes out in the performance, I hope. It's fascinating that this, this connection between these two things, and of course, um, 
you know, certainly within the last, what, 150 years, you start to find more composer-conductors. And Richard Strauss and Gustav Mahler in the Western European tradition, you know, are the main ones that come to mind. And I especially Mahler, clearly, his, um, his orchestrations are incredible and would not be possible unless he was actually uh, working with orchestras very closely all the time. It's just an amazing ability to go from massive orchestra to chamber music and back again. Uh, so that's, that's really fascinating. I also love, Jim, what I hear you saying is I learn to speak the language of the music first. I learn to understand the music first. I think about the syntax of the music, can I put it that way, first. And then I worry about how I'm going to convey that to the ensemble. Correct. And uh, I think that's the right order. <laughs> but, I, but in that same sense, I'm sure yeah. Dr. Weller would agree. We're, as composers, when we're studying another piece to present to our ensembles, yeah. we're also, have, we have a catalog of ideas that are coming out of those pieces that we yes. think, wow, that was brilliant. I want that orchestration. Yes. Or that, wow, why did he think that was a cool rhythm to do here? Where is that hemiola? Right. And then it starts to just become this big library of resources when exactly. we start to compose. Exactly. Because that, that's what, I don't know that people understand that necessarily, but as my one of my teachers said, you can't recreate the whole world. You know, so you're constantly <laughs> learning and constantly listening. And what makes us, we, we each have our unique voice because we're a different person. And we put things together in a different way. And, but we're putting together the same materials that everyone else is. We're, we're drawing from those same materials when we start writing music. Um, uh, I, I have to share also, you know, just as a pianist, my teacher once said, a good pianist studies the score like a conductor. So I think whatever you're doing in music, I, and I would take that back then to the composition level as well, that uh, you know, understanding how the music is put together, then understanding how you want to express the music, understand what you want to say with it are the first steps, and then you gain the technical ability to actually do it, whether you're waving your arms, as you said, or, or playing an instrument. Either, either way, it's the same process in, in both cases. So um, well, that's really interesting. Um, if I'm not mistaken, last year both of you had pieces performed at one time or another. Did, and I don't can't, I think you conducted one of Travis's pieces last year. Or was am I remembering? Yeah. Yes. Yes. But yes. you also conducted your own music. Yes. Yes. So both of you had pieces performed. Are you planning to do that this year or sometime? This year's a different year. I'm, yeah. I'm actually not programming anything of mine this year with any of the groups. Uh -huh. um, I am programming my grandfather's march on this first concert. Oh, wow. So it's not mine. And yeah. my father will be here to conduct. He's 87 years old, so he's oh, going to be our fabulous. guest conductor. <laughs> so it, it skipped a generation. Yeah. My dad will laugh about it because his job, as his job, I would say, it's not really a job, but when I was a kid, he would arrange music for the church and uh -huh. he would make sure that all of us had an opportunity to play. So out of his four kids, there was a trombone, there were two trumpet players, there's a sax player, a clarinet player. And he would put that together with organ or that together with choir. And he always says it skipped a generation. It went from James B to James C, and it skipped James A. Well, James A will be here on the 27th conducting James V's music <laughs> and not mine. So I'm not programming anything of mine this year, but when I do honor festivals, I always try to program something of Dr. Weller's. That's I'm doing Danza Con Joya. Danza Con Joya. Uh, that's on the spring schedule, okay. which is this... And I guess... The, and this is a piece of yours. No, this is a piece this of gems. This piece of gems, okay. And um, I love the fact that it's a waltz, but it's a very modern waltz. Mm -hmm. And I just, I love harmonically where everything goes. Um, it's a great change of pace for... Because you don't, you don't hear waltzes mm -hmm. much at all anymore. Um, and this one's just delightful. It's just, it's, it's one of the happiest little things I've heard. <laughs> but it's a waltz because I don't like waltzes. 
So I was trying to, I was seriously trying to change waltzes. You're trying make, to get over your dislike. I was trying to get over it and see if I could yeah. figure out what's so, why are people so passionate about it? Is it possible to write a waltz I actually like? Right. Is that your goal? Yeah. Right. Uh -huh. Yeah. And then in Dr. Weller's case, you know, I, I programmed Festival of Flight yeah. and last year um, with the PMEA tour. Did Metro. We did Metro Dances. And that went over huge. I also conducted the various PMEA festivals and district festivals and county festivals. Mm -hmm. I think that piece drives like crazy, and it's about driving, but it drives <laughs> like crazy. But it, it is in tune with what students can do and what they want to do. And the composition itself is thorough. The orchestration is really amazing, especially at the end with the horns. Mm -hmm. I think that's just amazing. I want to follow up on something you said, Jim, earlier that you, you know, as you listen to contemporary composers, broad range of contemporary composers. And when you hear things you like and styles that you want your students to know about, or not your students necessarily, but just students in general to know about, uh, that you write pieces that are technically accessible to them. Uh, I really love that idea. And I just, and you were saying, I don't try to write, uh, you didn't say bad music, mm -hmm. but I, <laughs> I try right. to write at the same level artistically, right? but technically at a level that they can play, yes. if I'm hearing that correctly. And I, I just, I love that. And um, just my experience as a composer is that's the hardest thing to do. It and is. to write this, the, I don't want to say simple music. Simple is the wrong word. What is the word that I want? Something that's, that's uh, direct and honest and not complex. Well, you want not something complex. that has musical integrity. Yes. And without it being trite. Yeah, or exactly. it's all, you know. Yeah. There's that song, I think it's Bare Naked Ladies, it's all been done before. Yes, you yes. Know, and trying to find find that combination of notes. And I, I guess that's the, I guess it's maybe one of the more profound things I think about music in all that we've been doing and all that we've been writing, that there are still combinations out there that I have not yet discovered. And that, to me, is exciting. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I'm always, I'm always amazed every time I hear the slow moon of Beethoven's violin concerto because it opens with one, five, one twice. And, the scale, and then the melody is one, two, three, the first three notes of the scale. And, uh, and it's heart-rending. <laughs> it's absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> and well, why does that work? Well, I think the struggle that we're mm -hmm. talking about, for me, it's a struggle because I don't always think about the most educational value to the part, mm -hmm. to the sax part, to the clarinet part. I think, well, that should go in the saxes because they don't have this opportunity to play this, or trombones never get the melody. So I put it in the trombone so they have that chance. Now, I find that that can have great success and it can have great failure depending yes. on the band. Yes. Where what I find with Dr. Weller's music is often if I'm doing that with an honor band, he has it exactly where the euphonium player feels comfortable. Right. And it's not just because it feels comfortable, it's because it's good. It's quality, it's a line, it's mm -hmm. musical. And where mm -hmm. sometimes I struggle is I go, well, saxes never get the melody. I don't care that they're an E major. Then I always think, well, the band director can teach E major, therefore they can be an E major. But that doesn't always happen, and it does, it's not always successful. Jim, you're making so. that up. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, I don't think that way. I usually think, what can I say that they can then explore further? And I hope that they'll work on these things that are difficult. Yeah, that's great. That's yeah. great. Um, well, we could talk for a long time about composition. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go on to, to the concert that's happening next week, next Friday night. Uh, and what what's what's happening with this concert? The, I guess that's maybe the daunting thing. And I don't know that you and I have ever talked about this at any point, but it's like, end of September, yeah. we're going to have a concert. Yeah. And, and like, so why do you do that? 
Well, <laughs> this is what the fourth week of school. Fourth week of school. Yeah. Yeah. No. So pre- you've had eight rehearsals, basically. But I Maybe will have seven seven rehearsals total. Seven the rehearsals. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, no. Pre- <laughs> first of all, no pressure, no diamonds. <laughs> but I think it's really good. And this was something as a as a public school educator, I wanted to have one major concert every quarter. I wanted to have one major project, and I think for the students to understand that need to let's let's come together and let's do something great in service to our school, like giving them those multiple opportunities. And I, I now into year three, I don't think I would want a concert later. I agree. You know, I think that. What I try to do with the Wendell Ensemble students is emphasize that they are the professional level of band. Colleges, this is the top level of band, and then the military bands. Mm-hmm. So those are the two levels. We don't have professional wind ensembles in every city. Mm-hmm. We should, but we don't. So if they're going to be playing at the highest level, then let's teach them how to be professionals. Professionals prepare a concert in four to six rehearsals. So if we do this concert at the end of, the, of September, it sets the tone. And if the tone's positive, the kids buy in 100%, and then they perform like crazy. I'm, I'm very excited about next Friday, because mm-hmm. I can't believe how young this ensemble is and mm-hmm. how accomplished they are already. Okay. So, yeah. you, in other words, you don't have a lot of upperclassmen, is that what you're saying? In the, in the we graduated two big classes in a row. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of first-year students and all excellent musicians. Returning students, too. I don't yeah. slight them. They're yeah. excellent musicians. But this concert, the way they've approached it, and the professionalism, the preparation it's gonna be really good because of their work and this closeness to the beginning of the semester. Yeah. And I, I'm excited. With symphonic winds, I, you know, I don't have a lot of majors in that group, but the thing that I noticed this year, I've got a lot of freshmen, first year players that are just coming out, playing in, playing in the group for the first time. And they have responded very well to like, here's what I'd like to do, here's what we're working on. And it's just a really good, I, no, I shouldn't say good. It's a really great group of people that I get mm-hmm. to spend two hours a week with. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's actually with Wind Ensemble. I said to them yesterday in rehearsal, you don't know how much fun this is right now. Because I can hear where we started in the reading session and we're in week two. We could perform this first movement now. And that motivates them. And then they keep looking towards that target as let's show what we can do. And they're really rallying behind the fact that they have to be prepared, that they're responsible. And they do it for themselves and for their ensemble mates. Sure, sure. And the professional world is Mm. quicker. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Usually condensed into a few days. That's right. Yeah. It's a very, very intense um, process for all of us when when we perform in that kind of situation. So, uh, Travis, would you like to talk about the individual pieces that you're sure. performing? Yeah, we're starting, as far as I know, we're doing the second performance of a piece by Philip Lowen, who taught here in Pennsylvania for over 30 years, uh, now a retired band director, and he wrote a piece entitled The Race Before Us, and very uh, right underneath um, right underneath the title, quoting the scripture from, from Hebrews, and I just... I, I got back into Hebrews a little bit over the summer, and um, whenever I, you know, Bill Stoneman had shared the piece with me and I looked at it, I said, yeah, this, this works for us. And, and 
it's a reminder to all those students who are there like, yeah, this is the years before you and you don't need to, you should take great comfort that others have been there. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be people like yourself, like Jim, like Bill, like Tim, like Rachel, who are, are going to make sure that you're cared for along the way. Uh, very exciting piece. Uh, Olivia Joseph, who's a senior music ed education major, is going to be conducting Overture for Winds by Charles Carter, which um, in terms of pieces that high school band directors should know, it's, it's right at the top of the list. Uh, we were fortunate to have Dan Forrest here on campus last year uh, as part of the Choristers Workshop. We're actually doing a band piece of his called Bosque Lullaby. And it's, it's a new work to me that Dan had suggested uh, last year when he was here. I had a couple of conversations and it's, it's lovely. It's really a, just a, a beautiful piece. We're doing uh, variants on an early American hymn tune. Uh, the hymn tune is Brethren We Have Met to Worship. Uh, I love that tune. And yeah. it's uh, James Kernow, and um, had an opportunity to reconnect with James over the summer, and, and Jim is just a wonderful writer. And then we're closing with a not often performed but modern band march called Bandology by Eric Osterling. And it's, uh, Jim and I were talking about it the that. other night. It's just, it, you know, it has this... I don't want to say odd, but just unique harmony for like a 1960s, 1970s march. And uh, it's just good to revisit a, sort of a forgotten gem like that. And, um, you know, when you consider like the legacy of the march with the American Concert Band, it's, it, you know, it's important that we play it. Sure, so, sure. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a great program. Our, our, our wind ensemble, Symphonic Winds, all these ensembles have always played a march every now and then. I know it's not yeah. always there, I don't think, but... Uh, yeah, frequently, frequently different marches. Yeah, so that's fun. I I played many in yeah. my in my in my time. <laughs> Bandology is fantastic. <laughs> played many. I was a drummer actually for that sort of thing. So um, I was back there waving away. Okay, Jim. Yeah. Uh, for the Wind Ensemble, we're doing something kind of fun and unique. Um, there are a lot of wonderful graduates from Messiah College, both graduate students and undergraduate students, who are teaching in the area who are middle school and elementary band directors and high school band directors. So I invited them to perform with us for the opening two pieces of this concert, the Duke of Marlborough Fanfare by Percy Granger and Immovable Doe by Percy Granger. Duke of Marlborough is this really incredible fanfare that's thickly, densely, I should say, densely harmonized. And um, we're gonna perform that from the organ loft. So we'll keep the brass off the stage, put them in the organ loft where they belong. Um, <laughs> up there, the angels that they are. Which I might add, the acoustics are actually quite excellent from the from the and I can't <laughs> choir wait. loft. I can't wait. So we have we have about twenty alumni that are going to be joining us for this set of Granger works. Now the immovable dough, um, the, the story behind it is Granger went in to compose one day on his harmonium, and when he sat down and pushed the pedal, he had a siphon in one of the pipes, and it just happened to be the note C, which is dough. And it carried through, and he improvised an entire piece around it, and it became this incredible work. Now, most people perform it as a full band work, but what people don't know with Granger often is that he arranged his music for all different ensembles. And this particular performance is going to be unique because I looked. I haven't seen anyone perform it the way we're going to do it. So we're doing a full wood woodwind-only interpretation of a movable dough except for one moment where we're going to add brass from above but it's going to be incredible and all of our alums are coming we'll have a bass saxophone uh contrabass clarinet so it's going to be a really amazing so the brass performance. is still going to be in the choir loft 
just for the join on one movement. There's one arrival, and that has to have brass. As a trumpet player, I was teasing the woodwinds yesterday, and I or the brass yesterday, and I said to them, "Well, I mean, come on, you just can't have a piece that's just woodwinds." But the alumni are going to former clarinetist and bassoonist. I would take exception. And they, but the students, they're really excited about it, and the way they are coming to that particular piece is pretty amazing. It's hard to keep a C in tune on a band instrument. That's yeah. not a note we like. Right. And right. the entire way through, you got to be focusing on that C and then all the music around it. Uh, after a very quick stage change, then uh, the march that I mentioned, America Forever, that my grandfather wrote on right. December 7th, 1941, the night of the bombing of Pearl Harbor. So my grandfather... I mentioned that detail. Yes, yeah, so my grandfather um, and my parent, my dad and his brothers and sisters were harassed as Italians in the United States. Um, my dad used to be chased home from school and people would be screaming all derogatory things at him, my uncle, my aunt. And when the bombing happened and he got word of it, my grandfather was extremely saddened. So he sat down in the living room of the house with his mandolin and composed the melody to America Forever. So we are going to have an opportunity to perform a new setting of it that I did for various bands because it was only published on the little March folio paper and it had things like play second time only, play here, it's too confusing. So I created a new version of it so we can just play through from beginning to end. And uh, my father, who is 87, is going to perform with the Messiah College Wind Ensemble as the conductor. And I'm excited about this because I'm thinking this will be his last performance um, but I'm even more excited because he's conducting his father's march yes. with these outstanding young people. Yeah. Um, following that, we're going to go right into a piece that I've wanted to do for many, many years, Adam Gorb's Yiddish Dances. And it'll be featuring one of our clarinet players on E-flat clarinet, Alex Che, and a various other soloists throughout the piece. But it's exactly what you think it is, Yiddish Dances. And it ends with a blast. And it's going to be a very, very fun way to close the concert. Um, but that concert is as well-rounded as I could early in the semester with what's happening. But the students, again, have come to it just so excitedly and just they're playing so well for it. And I can see their eyes are just, they're hopeful, they're excited, they're ready to go, they're ready to play this concert. I think this is amazing. I mean, it sounds like a wonderful concert and uh, this story with your, your father and your, and your grandfather is, is just really, uh, really special. Yes. Yeah. Really, I know it's special for you, but I think it's special for all of us uh, to to bring that uh, all of that together, well, especially with a, a, a such a significant date as December seventh, and knowing that it was connected to that mm-hmm. as well, and to all the family uh, story, family history as it is. And yeah. we played for it. We played the march for him over the phone. That's the nice mm-hmm. thing that I could call him in rehearsal and say, "Hey, listen." Mm-hmm. And the, there's a lot of stories behind it. Like the trumpet part was written for my dad, the flute part for my aunt, the clarinet part for my other aunt, the trombone euphonium part for my uncle. Mm-hmm. So he was thinking about his children as he wrote the piece. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's really neat that that's all incorporated. Plus there's what I believe is an Italian love song that he remembered from Italy. And um, you're going to hear some interesting American things within it as well. Okay. So he quotes a few tunes, in other he, words. He does. He quotes a really important one right at the start. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll be fun. Yes. That'll be a lot of fun. Well, I'm looking forward to the concert. What can I say? And uh, thrilled and delighted that you're both here at Messiah. And thank you so much for talking with me today. It's been, been a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. This is Richard Robertson from the Dean's Office.